Good morning. Good morning. Is there anyone here today that is who is new to Austin's Internet first time? Well, welcome. Welcome. You jumped into the deep end of the pool today. So what I'd like to talk about today um, is the practice of renunciation. And uh, before I get too far, I just want to say that sometimes my voice will fade a little bit. So if you're in the back and you can't hear me, just if you'll give the universal signal, I'll uh, try to increase my volume. So renunciation is really the heart, uh, at the heart of our practice, of Zen practice. We often don't think of it that way. We often want to think of it as more in the classical tradition, of ordaining uh, as a priest or as a monk and going into a monastery and leaving the world. And typically that is found more in the Theravadan tradition. While people do ordain as priests and go into a monastery, uh, it's usually for a short, not too long of a period of time. The amount of time people spend in a monastery doesn't tend to be um, decades. It tends to be shorter periods of time, which is why in our tradition we have two different terms. So when we are when we take uh, lay ordination, the term for it is zaike tokido, which is staying home and attaining the way. This is to remain a householder, to ordain in that way, to take on the precepts as a practice and to take the much harder path of being a householder and staying home or raising kids, having a career and making that practice. Uh, the other term is shuke tokido, which is the priest ordination, leaving home and attaining the way. So in, in our school, uh, typically, or in our lineage, in our specific lineage, the Suzuki Roshi lineage, if you ordain as a priest, it's typically expected at some point you're going to spend some time at Tassajara at the monastery. But a very interesting thing happened when it came to, when Zen came to this country that uh, both monks and lay people began doing the exact same practice, which I think is why Suzuki Roshi once observed to his students, well, you're not exactly monks and you're not exactly laymen. And the reason is, and um, I believe Reverend Koji can 
verify this is when you're at the monastery and it's practice period and everyone's sitting together sitting zazen there's no difference there's no difference in the practice of what you are doing the only way that you can tell the monk and the layman apart is that the monk tends to have a shaved head and is wearing the extra cloth other than that the practice is the same so this is actually a really important point because what I want to say is that monastic practice priest practice however you want to describe it is not superior to lay practice and lay practice is not inferior to priest practice or monastic practice these are simply two different ways to wake up two different avenues and in my experience uh, monastic practice is far easier because your schedule is all laid out they tell you what to do and all you have to do is follow the schedule while flailing the whole time for a while but it's easier that you don't have the distractions I didn't want to believe that at first until I moved from Tassajara to city center in San Francisco and was completely overwhelmed with all of the distractions up there and this also doesn't mean that monastic life is a peaceful blissed out place people are still people people are complicated so um, you know You'll find jerks in a monastery, you know, uh, just as you would anywhere else. So it's 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 actually not an escape. So I once heard a Tibetan teacher say that. Renunciation is letting go of whatever causes us suffering. And uh, in my observations, in my experience over a couple of years of practice, is that um, I think I would take it a little bit further and say that renunciation is letting go of whatever keeps, whatever is preventing us from being in the present moment letting go of distractions, daydreams, whatever it is that keeps us from meeting someone, from being present with someone or something, uh, whatever it is that keeps us from being fully engaged in our life, which is actually the heart of our practice of sitting when we sit and we face the wall and our hands are in the cosmic mudra and we are either following our breath or counting our breath. Whenever we get distracted, we become aware of it, we let it go, and we come back to the breath. We come back to the body, back to the sensation of living this life. So in our tradition, we have a, a, a big ask because we sit facing a wall. So we have this uh, projection screen right in front of us. 
as a friend of mine used to say, coming soon to a wall near you. <laughs> so renunciation is letting go of whatever takes us away from the present moment, is, is my experience, my interpretation. Take that with as much salt as you need. Because I'm not an authority on your life, right? We all have to come to our own understanding, our own relationship with our practice. So as a result of this, I've, I tend to prefer, you know, if I were to have preferences, uh, the word uh, relinquishing rather than renunciation. Because renunciation can have this feeling of pushing away. Of uh, not seeing what's happening, not taking in what's happening. And relinquishing is actually the act of letting go. Of letting go. And the root of the word, as some of you have heard me uh, talk about, root uh, origins is relinquere, which is Latin verb, meaning to leave behind. Just a really sweet notion. A really sweet notion to, to leave behind whatever keeps us from being in the present moment. So as Uchiyama Roshi says, it's, it's opening the hand of thought. So we, we open our hands and we let go of whatever keeps us from being engaged in our lives. No matter what it looks like, no matter what, no matter the uh, expression that our life takes. So one way that we can become aware of this and, off, and often it shows up very quickly as soon as we begin sitting, is becoming aware of our stories, becoming aware of um, our hindrances that keep us from being in the moment, that keep us from being where we are. And a lot of times we have ideas about things or people and about how they should be or shouldn't be. Right. Does anybody resonate with that? Yeah. Yes. So we have, in our world, we kind of have this stage in which we have all these myriad characters up on the stage, and we're trying to be the director. No, 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 you over here. Your mark is over here. Hit, hit your mark over there. Say these lines exactly. So as a result, we suffer. Right? And, so, and so do the people in our lives because we're trying to control them in some form or another, which is really the root, which is the core of the second noble truth, that our attachments cause us suffering.
And I think I would even elaborate even a little further and say our over-attachments keep us suffering because we do, we, we do have attachments, but um, some are healthier than others. It's, it's almost impossible to let go of all attachments. But when we are attached to something to the exclusion of everything else, particularly the, the, the welfare of others, the welfare of our planet, uh, causes a lot of trouble. It can really cause a lot of trouble. And this also applies to us. We have some completely irrational ideas about how we think we should be. We have, we are often trapped by what I call the tyranny of the subjunctive. So in, in grammar, the subjunctive is the mood or the tense of possibility. So we can say, oh, I wish that something would be this way or could be this way or I should do something. We are just in the process of some self-flagellation, of really, really being unkind to ourselves and to others. And in Texas, we have a, a particular form of the subjunctive that some of you know, are familiar with. It's what I call the, the double subjunctive. So, growing up in rural Texas, as I did, if one rancher says to another, I need to replace a section of fence, you know, could you give me a hand with that? And the neighbor might, you know, could, might say, oh, you know, I might could. <laughs> you know. So in, instead of just saying probably, I kind of like introduce a little extra vagueness into it. I might could. Anybody else remember hearing that is? You know, that's definitely part of our, our lexicon. I've never heard it anywhere else except Texas. So we have a little extra practice. So how this often manifests itself is whenever we are having difficulty in practice. Right? We have these, again, these completely unrealistic expectations of ourselves about how we think we should be. Uh, I remember when we, uh, I started out practicing at Austin Zen Center, and when I first started practicing, we were at the old West, West Avenue location, is that right, by the ACC Rio Grande. And I think I had been practicing maybe about nine months or so. And I'd hit a wall, which often happens. Between six and nine months, folks often hit a wall. And uh, I remember sitting Zazen. I was the doan. I was the timekeeper. And as I was sitting there, I thought, you know, I'm so done with this. You know, I'm just, this just... I'm, I'm completely over this. When this period of Zazen is over, when service is over, I'm going to scratch my name off the Doan Rio list. I'm going to go home and 
That's it. I'm done. So I was sitting there, just, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And then out of the corner of my eye, sitting right next to me was the teacher. And I saw the teacher <laughs> nodding off right out of the corner of my eye. And I thought, well, why am I being so hard on myself? You know, why, why am I burdening myself, strapping this huge gorilla to my back? Uh, this person next to me is not a perfect human being. You know? And it kind of flipped, the kind of the wall dissolved at that point, that I realized how, how extremely difficult I was being on myself. And I think that, that the gorilla that had been on my back had always been there. I just had not been aware of it up until that point, which is the usefulness of the wall. You know, we can either hit the wall and go back, or we can actually, actually go around it and keep going. And sometimes the, the wall just comes down of its own. So this, so this obviously involves letting go of expectations of ourselves and others, which um, uh, Zinke Blanche Hartman, the founder of this temple, one of my mentors at San Francisco Zen Center, that was her definition of forgiveness, was letting go of expectations of others. So that can be a form of self-forgiveness as well, too, to let go of the expect, our self-expectations. So what this means is giving up the idea, completely relinquishing the idea wholeheartedly and joyfully that we are ever going to be a finished product, that anyone is ever going to be a finished product, that we are all a work in progress. And there is uh, one teacher, if you'll pardon my French, who says, Anybody who says they have their shit together is usually standing in it. <laughs> so uh, when we really look at the expectations of ourselves and others, we see like this is really almost like a, hmm, almost an outright act of cruelty to expect someone to live up to our expectations or expect ourselves to live up to our expectations. It takes a lot to be able to say, you know, uh, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. Regardless of our stories about ourselves and what someone else may think about us, we are all working with the tools that we have. And one of our practices is actually developing a, a better toolbox, cultivating more tools, practicing with them. This is why it's called practice. Hemingway once said about writing that uh, we're practicing a craft that can never be mastered. And it's the same way with our practice. And this is why we call it practice. We don't, don't ever call it mastery. 
Zen mastery. Because this world is a very dynamic world. This world is always changing. We are always changing. We are never the same person. I'm very different than I was 10, 15 minutes ago when I walked in the door. Our interactions with each other, constant stimuli, karmic conditioning, all these dynamic conditions combine to change, to help change us every moment. So by coming back to the present moment, by letting go of our ideas of self and others, we can actually begin to respond to the ever-changing conditions in our life. So it's that flexibility of mind. And that flexibility of mind, uh, uh, as I've quoted Uchiyama Roshi earlier, the, the hand is such a, such a good metaphor for this. Because we, we, you know, if we want to pick something up, we really need this appendage. But sometimes it's really difficult to put things down after we have finished using them. It is difficult to, uh, to let go a lot of times. So in the, in the, um, in the motorcycling world, which I used to belong to, good gloves are pre-curved because our hands are pre-curved. Our hands are not flat like this. Our hands are naturally in a state like this. So it, it makes it uh, easier to uh, have a, a better feel for the handlebars because you know, material bunched up underneath your palms. So we're, we, uh, this is our reflexive action right, to grab. And when I was in shop class around 40 years ago, I remember they always told us, if you're working with electricity, and you don't know if a wire is live, you touch it with the back of your hand because it will knock your hand away if the, wire is, if the wire is live, if there's juice flowing. If you touch it with the palm of your hand, the muscles will contract and that's it. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like, you know, life is, life is a lot like that, you know. Uh, if you're introducing yourself to a, a cat or a dog, you show them the back of your hand, right? You don't, you don't do this because they think you're going to grab. Show them the back of your hand. Say, I'm not a threat. So uh, we can't help it. This is just what we do. This is what our mind does. It grasps. So we our practice is to become aware of the grasping, the attachments. Say, oh, yes, yes, there it is. There I am, grasping. Come back to the breath. Come back to the experience. Come back to the person that we are with or the task that we are engaged in. In Meet that person, that thing anew. Otherwise, we are stuck in this cycle of um, uh, just imposing our, trying to impose our will. Right? The writer Anais Nen said, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. So this is when we're operating under old karmic conditioning. We see everything as we are. Letting go of that, being willing to come back to the moment, uh, come back to the breath, come back to our experience, is a profound act of kindness, of 
um, relinquishing. Relinquishing our ideas, relinquishing our preferences. If only for a minute, if only for a few seconds, that in itself is a profound act of kindness to everyone, to, to all beings, <clears throat> everywhere. The writer uh, Howard Zinn said, everything that we do has an effect, whether or not we're aware of it. So why not choose the effect of kindness, of relinquishing, of letting go? So we're sitting here, we've all mastered renunciation, relinquishing our ideas, our preferences. And there's one final thing that we have to give up, and that is renunciation. We have to give up, if we are going to, to relinquish, we have to relinquish relinquishment. We have to relinquish renunciation. It takes a lot to do that because it's so easy because of our grasping mind we want to reify the renunciation oh I can't do X because I've renounced it or I've let it go only by relinquishing renunciation can we really respond and there's um, I was talking with someone earlier and there's a, a really great story that points to this that some of you have heard, and it's these two monks are walking along, this, this young kid and this older monk, they're walking along in the old days, and they come to a stream that's, that's uh, the water's kind of high, and there is a woman standing there, and she can't cross without getting her nice clothes completely soaked. So the, the older monk picks her up, carries her across the stream, sets her down, and then the two monks continue on their way. So things are quiet for a while. And the young monk is kind of stewing. You know, he's, he's got something stuck in his craw, as we used to say. And finally he says to the, to the old monk, how could you do that? How could you pick up that woman and take her across the way when you know that we are not allowed to touch women? They had taken the Vinaya precepts. And the old monk said, Huh. Well, I put her down after we crossed the stream. Why are you still carrying her? So that is relinquishing renunciation. Right? Being able to respond to what is needed without the ideas of renunciation. And first, uh, we're like the young monk. It takes us a while to kind of get it, and we uh, need, need a few years of seasoning for that to happen and, and being tempered in the fire. And then after a while, oh, yes, okay, I, have, I let go of that as well too. So without, uh, without preferences for renunciation or relinquishing either, then we are really able to meet the world. Then we see things as they are. And we see people 
as they are. We meet people. We can never know who people are. We can never know who things are. But we can see things for who they are and meet people for who they are. Or, or however they express themselves. It's not our job to judge that. Our job is just to show up and pay attention. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, every time you pick up a glass, be aware when you pick it up. Notice the feel of the cup in your hand or the glass in your hand. Get to know it intimately, the temperature, the texture. This time of year, if it's cold, the glass will probably be sweating. Notice the weight of the glass in your hand. how much pressure was needed in the fingers to retain the grip. And then set that glass down, noticing what it's like to let go of that. Noticing what it's like to have the pressure decrease as we open our hand. Opening the hand is required. Otherwise, we're stuck with the glass in our hand for the rest of our life. And that hand is of no use to us. So it's really about you know, learning the skillful means. But just try that on. Without, without uh, ideas, preferences, just, just notice the sensation. Notice the physical sensations. If a thought comes in, okay, there's that. And then come back to, come back to the hand. You know, we can even notice our preferences about letting it go, but I'm still thirsty. Thank you all very much for being here today, for your presence, for your practice, for your attention. It's been a pleasure to be here.